Well, this morning we start a new series, and you could basically say it's a continuation of the last series we did on Samson. Uh, but it's very interesting. There seems to be a contrast between what we're doing. So basically, uh, the last series Jonathan did and the series I'm carrying on today, we're taking two characters in the Bible that really were used mightily by God. Uh, but what's interesting is their character was so different. If you remember what we uncovered last week and even the weeks before that, Samson was someone that God used in spite of who Samson was. How many of you got that picture out of that? But today what we're going to do is one of those situations where we would probably look and say, okay, let's look at the other side of that. What, where's someone in scripture that looks like who God would use? You would definitely say Daniel would be one of those people. And so as we look at Daniel this morning, I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 1. And today we're starting a new series, Daniel Character in the Making. Now, godly character or good character is made in the small moments of life, especially when no one is looking. I want you to think about that. What are you in public and what are you when you're with your family? But most of all, who are you when you're just by yourself? There's no accountability there. There's, there's that idea, but listen, that's really, when you think about it, that's really, truly who you are. And for some of you sitting here today, that may horrify you when you think about who we are in the private moments of our life. So who are you on the inside or who are you in private? That is the real you. So look at the introduction. The making of good character happens when no one is looking. The real test of character is found in the victory over the enticement of compromise and the power of its influence. Apart from Jesus, it would be difficult to find someone in scripture who exhibited utmost character in such extreme situations in life as Daniel. What I think we found when it comes to Daniel is the perfect man to look at to say, okay, who is someone that God uses that does have good character? This, I believe, is your man. Daniel was a man who spent most of his entire career in a highly visible public life, yet there was not a mark against him. How many of you can look around today and find someone like that? You turn on the news, you hear about politicians, you hear about those who have influence in our nation, in our communities, but how many of you can find that person that there's really not a mark against that person? Well, this is a very unique person when it comes to Daniel. Think about it. These things could not have been said of Moses nor of David. Daniel seems to be a person who withstood the test of time. He maintained his integrity through difficult circumstances. He also maintained his integrity when no one else was watching. And you know what else? He finished well. He finished well. I remember reading about a, a, a pastor who pastored most of his life and, and he's there on his deathbed and the family gathers around and, and he basically said this. He began to praise the Lord and someone in his family asked, Grandpa, why are you praising the Lord? And, and he said, you know something? He, he's, he, he said this, he said, it looks like I'm going to finish well. He was so relieved that at the end of his life, he did not bring reproach upon his family nor upon his God. And he's laying there on his deathbed and his praise and his tears all seem to point to the fact, it appears I'm going to finish well. Wow, isn't that a powerful testimony when you think about it? Based on what we read in scripture, Daniel was one of those people. 
He's one of those who could have rested on his deathbed and say, you know something? I finished well. I finished well. I want you to look at the setting of chapter one. We're going to look at this in verses one, two, and three. And, and, and there's something going on here that, that many of you may not pick up on, but there's something happening. So look at verse one. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim excuse me, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, when we begin to look at Judah, what we're looking at is one of two parts of the nation of Israel. If you know your history on Israel, you will know that there were three kings who led, uh, who led a kingdom that was not divided. Soon after Solomon's rule, the kingdoms would be divided. You would have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was known as Israel. The southern kingdom was known as Judah. And so what you would have is the Assyrians would come in sometime before and take over the northern kingdom while the southern kingdom still remained. But it was soon after that when the Assyrians were taken over that the Babylonians overtook them and not only overtook them, not only took Israel over again, but also took over the southern kingdom, which was known as Judah. And so here we're reading about the, one of the last kings of the southern kingdom. And it basically says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, to the hand of the Babylonian king, some of the articles of the house of God. Now, many people would say that this may be when the ark was taken. You know, there's all these studies about the ark. Many people believe the ark of the covenant could have been taken during this time. It says, Which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and brought the articles into the the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Aphanaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. So what you have here are the Babylonians and they're doing typically what they normally do when they overcome a kingdom and take over a kingdom. They, they, plant, they dis, dis break up the nation they take over and they basically move people from region to region to make sure they don't reunify to, to fight again. And so that's what they've done here, except they've taken some of the brightest to, to the capital of Babylon. And so there is where you find Daniel. Now think about this. This is probably in the 500s BC. It's what is known as Israel's 70 years of captivity by the, by the Babylonians and then the Persians. Now think about this. We're talking about Daniel. Daniel was probably around 15 or 16 years of age when he was taken captive by the Babylonians. Now think about this. Can you imagine being totally uprooted from your family your home, your culture, your spiritual roots, and carried almost 700 miles away into a pagan environment. How much character, how much integrity does it take to stand up to the wrongs and the different points of view for you to stand there, to stand up against those things which challenge God's word without compromising? How many of you have ever been in a place like that? You leave a place, you go to a different place, and it would be so easy to compromise. It would be so easy to fall into the ways of the people there. Well, this past Friday, I had an encounter very similar to that. I went to a place very unfamiliar, a place that seemed 700 miles away, a place where I could have compromised my character. It was the Southern Women's Christmas Show. <laughs> laughter 
Imagine my disappointment when I get in there and there is no show. There's no show. There's no show whatsoever. I was counting on going in, sitting down, listening to something, seeing something Christmassy or whatever, popcorn maybe, no show. I'm totally disappointed at this point. I felt I was constantly in the way of women who had a job to do, and that was to touch everything in this place. There were times in which I felt like I was on the basketball court being blocked out from women who, who were trying to block me out. And many of them would look at me like, why are you even here? <laughs> Can you imagine the disappointment? It was a frightening place. <laughs> and, and, and you know, just when I thought it was over, just when we, we, we got to the last vendor, my wife would say, oh, there's another whole section over here. And I said, like, oh. Great, let's go. <laughs> we, we leave there and lo and behold, there's another whole sack, bigger than the last. And then finally came those beautiful words, I think we're done. <laughs> we did everything everyone would ever want. No vendor felt left out. We saw everything everyone had. And then we left. But you know something? My character maintained it. It was good when I went in there. I, it was good when I was in there and it was good when I left. And I was so proud of that moment. I, I, in some ways, I was sitting, standing there walking around with my wife and, and I thought, you know, this really ties into Daniel that I'm going to be speaking on this week. Lo, nothing like what Daniel had to do with, deal with. But I will tell you this, I did get some brownie points with the wife. So men, you may want to consider that in the future. All right, now, so what I want to do is take you on a journey of Daniel over these next three weeks. And here it is, the pressure to compromise personal character. Where does the pressure begin? Look on your outline, his way of thinking. He was challenged in his way of thinking. So look at verse four. It says, the young men in whom there was no blemish, this is speaking of Daniel and some others like him, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. Now, many of you are saying, now, I thought this was the Babylonians that overtook them. Yeah. Well, it was the Babylonians, but many times the people in Judah called them the Chaldeans because that was the best way they knew them as. The Chaldeans were the Babylonians. Now, what we find here is that what you have here is, if you're to put it in our day, it says basically they were healthy, they were handsome, they were intelligent, well-educated, uh, had potential to be great leaders. They were the cream of the crop. That's how they're described here. Now, what they're talking about is when it says that they might teach, it basically means that, that, that they are quick studies. They can catch on very quickly. They're, they're young men that can, can basically be taught something and they know how, what to do with the information in such a way that they will conform or be indoctrinated to their ways. That's really what it's saying here. And so we see that Daniel is in a place like this. So Daniel and his friends were brought to a foreign land to be introduced, indoctrinated, excuse me, into a culture that served a pagan king. They were enrolled in what many people could call the University of Babylon. They were taught things which opposed their beliefs, basically consulted mediums and spirits, astrology, they, those were things that, that the enemy can use to, to do things, and they were taught those ways. They were taught uh, those things that were contrary to what they knew. There was much pressure to change their way of thinking, just as we experience today in our culture. 
our views of one true God, our views of the structure of the home. And what happens is you see that Daniel is all of a sudden placed in this. Now, Daniel stood firm and did not compromise when it came to his way of thinking. His perspective of what he was taught as a younger man, it never changed. Now, how do you know that? Because we have a record of Daniel's life that goes all the way into his 80s. We, 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 we are introduced to Daniel when he's 15. And, and the last part we see, we, many scholars believe he was in his 80s. He was one of those who finished well. He was one of those that they didn't change his way of thinking. He didn't compromise his, his convictions. So we see the pressure to compromise personal character, his way of thinking, but second of all, his way of living. You see, up to this point, Daniel and his friends have shown no resistance to their assimilation into the Babylonian culture. But then all of a sudden there came a point where Daniel said no more. There came a point where Daniel said, now you're getting into areas that are violating my convictions. You're getting into areas that's violating my principles. So what does he do? Look at verse five. It says, and the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time, they might serve before the king. But then look at verse eight. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So Daniel basically said, you know something? There's some things you're asking him to do I have no problem with. It does not violate my principles. It does not validate or validate anything other than what God, I'm fine with it. But there came a point where he said, okay, enough's enough. Now, think about this. There are two possible problems with what's been put before him. The royal food. Some people think that the meat was unclean according to the law, according to the law of Israel that it was unclean. It was something that they should not have partaken of. That it could be that the meat was offered to idols before it was eaten. Both of those are things that are strongly stated in scripture for the Israelites not to do. Now think about this. When you begin to think about all these laws that went into for the laws of those who are Israelites, what you're seeing there is God is basically separating a people unto himself. It, it, so when, when it says, thou shalt not eat this, this, and this, thou can't eat this and this, he's basically having them as a people to stand out in the culture. He's asking them to do that. He's desiring that for them to do that so that they will be identified with the true and living God. And Daniel was basically saying, I'm not going, I'm going to identify with what my God has told me. So he was not willing to compromise his holiness nor his integrity. Look here on the screen. Integrity commits itself to character over personal gain, service over power, and then, oh, excuse me, people over things, service over power, commitment to his God over convenience and compromise, and then the big picture over the immediate. That's what integrity does. So if you were to say, okay, if I'm going to be a person of good character, godly character of, of, of integrity, where, what does it look like when it's fleshed out? These are things that you'll find. And this is what you'll find in Daniel's life. Now think about it. Again, Daniel was in a foreign land. Over 700 miles from home. His life had been turned upside down. No one would even know if he compromised. Think about that. What about you when you're away from home? 
What about you when no one is looking, when accountability is removed? What are you compromising? I mean, when you look at Daniel and you begin to look at it through the lens of our lives, you can't help but respect the guy. You can't help but look at the guy's life and say, man, that, that's, that's classy. That, that is integrity. That's good character. Every time, think about this in your own personal life. Every time you make, or excuse me, break a moral principle or ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit, you create a small crack in the foundation of your integrity, of your good character. I want you to look at these pictures here. This is, of course, this is a dam that you see here and it's well-constructed, it's holding back the water. Now, now think about if the dam breaks, what's gonna happen? Well, first of all, you, it's gonna start with leaks, right? It's gonna start with some cracks in the foundation, cracks in the wall, and that's what many of us need to guard against. You see, it's the cracks that begin to become the, the destructive force of what's going on in a person's life. And so when you say, you know, this is so little, what would it matter? It's just another crack. It's just something else that you're putting into your life that, that, that can, can bring down your good character and your integrity. And you think it's so little. God doesn't even care about that. No, it's just the fact that you begin to compromise. You begin to say, it won't matter. This is just a little thing. And all of a sudden you have the cracks. But at some point, everything comes crashing down. At some point, the, the cracks and more cracks and more cracks. And all of a sudden, it's beyond what anything you can do. I had the privilege over the last couple of weeks to talk to men about being in crisis. That's the whole idea of a midlife crisis and what that looks like for a man and some of the symptoms that can come with that time in a man's life and, and how, can, how can you help a man during that time? Well, one thing you gotta pay attention to is you gotta pay attention to the cracks in your integrity. You gotta pay attention to the things that you begin to compromise and, and all of a sudden it, you, there's this crack and this crack and everything begins to happen and everything, there's a breakthrough. There's something that happens that destroys Everything that you've let that, that held back that water, it comes in and destroys everything around you. I can't tell you, and I told these men this, I can't tell you how many times I've seen, I've heard men come into my office and, and here's basically what they're saying. I never dreamed I was capable of doing what I did. Never dreamed it. Did it just happen with a break one day? No, it started with the cracks. It started with the compromises. It started with the little things. And it began to be this thing that was totally out of their control and it, it just ruptured. And then they were left with broken pieces, a broken family many times. I mean, it, it can get real tough when it comes to this idea of integrity and the structure of something being broken down. So we see the pressure to compromise personal character, his way of thinking, his way of living, but thirdly, his way of worship. They began to want him to, to crack under this whole idea of his worship. So look at, when you look at verses six and seven, here's what you're gonna find, okay? I wanna, read, I wanna look at it through my notes here, but the chief eunuch or the chief administrator exchanged their Hebrew names for Babylonian names. One of the things that they did almost immediately was they changed their names, okay? Now why, have you ever wondered, why would they change their name? Now think about this. Maybe it's in what their name means. Did you know that the name Daniel means God is my judge? You know what they tried to do? They tried to change his name to, 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 to Belshazzar, which means may Baal, who was a Babylon god, protect his life. How about this? Hananiah means God is gracious. 
But they wanted to change his name to Shadrach, which means a coup, which is a Babylonian god. It means a coup is exalted. You, you, ever, heard of, you ever heard of him, Shadrach? How about this? Mishael means who is what God is. And Meshach means what, who is what a coup is, a Babylonian god. Azara means God is my helper. Abednego means the servant of Nebo, which is a Babylonian god. Now, why would they do this? Why would they want to change their identity, basically? Why would they want to change their name? This was an attempt to make Daniel and his friends forget about their God and their past life of serving him and worshiping him. Now, let me just tell you this, and you may not think it's going on, but it is. Did you know that we're living in a society that's attempting to do the same thing? To remove God, to remove the thought of God, to take it out of what we consider some foundational things for our nation and, and just get rid of God. Now, some of this whole idea of being politically correct, there's some things I think we did need to correct. I will give them that. But we've carried it to such an extreme that now what we're trying to do with this whole idea of political correctness, we're trying to erase God and God's desire to impact our community, our society and God's desire to impact us as a nation who's used this nation mightily to be a mission force to the world. And right now the enemy knows that, let me just go and remove the, the whole idea of who God is. Let's just take him out of the schools. Let's take him out of the courts. Let's take him out of the society. And we're seeing this slowly happen in the name of political correctness. And y'all, apart from a revival of God's people, this will be the trend, this will be the trend. We live in that society. You see, it could have been easy for Daniel to say this about his situation. I'm not in Israel anymore. I might as well enjoy it. I've got the pleasures of the palace at my disposal. Look at what, look at all this, this it's a whole new world that's opened up to me. Now, let me tell you what's really behind this. You see, there was a false doctrine that began to be created around the time of Daniel. Actually, it started 100 years before Daniel. And here's what it said. And guess where they got this doctrine from? From the pagans. And here's what many Jews began to believe. They believed that their God, the one and true living God, only existed in the nation of Israel. That if they ever left Israel, they would go possibly to another God's place. Where did they get that idea from? From the pagans. That's exactly what the pagans taught. Well, this part of the world is this God is over this part. This, this part of the world, God's, there's a God over this part. And all of a sudden, the nation of Israel began to believe in the doctrines of the pagans. And Daniel could have been one of those. Well, I'm not in Israel anymore. I'm under the accountability. I'm under the, the worship of a, of a new God, a different God. You may laugh at that or you may say, what does that have to do with anything? Do you realize there's some of the same things going on in the church? Do you realize there's people doing the same thing? We're buying into the indoctrination of the pagans, of those who are over here saying God's word does not matter. There's a, there's a new world here. There's a new society we're trying to usher in. And it looks totally different. And Why don't you get on board? Kind of like the same picture Daniel was faced with. But you know what? You know why Daniel didn't compromise integrity? I think a lot of it had to do with he had a healthy view of 
doctrine. He had a healthy view of God's expectation. He wasn't fooled by the pagan indoctrinations. He knew what was right. He knew what was wrong. And that's where it starts. If we're going to be people with good integrity, with godly character, we will be people who stand and build our lives upon the truths of God's word. Not the changing tides of the society, but the foundation of God's word. You see, Daniel knew the true God and did not compromise. How did Daniel not compromise while everything was stacked against him? How did he stand firm in the opposition? It kind of leads us to our next point. Look on your outline. The preparation to pursue personal character. Now, if you don't get anything, get this. This is not on your outline, but I want you to get this. This is a big deal. God is more interested in what you are becoming for him or in him than what you can do for him. It's more about who you're becoming. And, and you see, Daniel not, never lost sight of that. It was who he was becoming and the platform God was giving him to be able to serve the true and living God in a pagan world. Daniel was in tune to that, that God was wanting to do a work in me, not just me to go out and, do, and me do things for him. That's where good integrity starts. That's where godly integrity starts. So look on your outline. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. He refused to go the way of the pagan. He refused to go the way of Nebuchadnezzar. So look at verse 8 again. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. The word defile there means to make some, someone or something unfit for use. To damage reputation or godly character in a way in which a person cannot be used. And that's what it really, that's everything that was on the line. He literally chose not to pollute or stain his integrity. His integrity was really at this point all he had. You see the Babylonians while attempting to strip him of everything he knew to be true and holy. It would have been easy for him just to go along with the program and, and rationalize and say, hey, we're captives. We're in a foreign land. We have no option. This is a small matter. God will understand. It's just a little tiny exception after all. You got to eat. And God knows my heart. Could have easily done that. You know why I bring that up? Because that's where many of us are thinking in this day and time. Might as well go with the flood. Boy, it's so much easier just to, just to ignore all this stuff and just go with the flow. The preparation to pursue personal character, he did not, excuse me, he resolved not to divide himself, but secondly, he verbalized his intentions. Look at verse eight again. Therefore, the second part of verse eight, therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king, who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your face looking worse than the young men who are of your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. You see, the chief of the eunuchs, the, the guy who was a right-hand man to the king, was given this responsibility to develop these young men, to help erase the, the, the God that they knew and everything that they knew, to, re or to indoctrinate them in the ways of the Babylonians. And, and, and this was his responsibility, and part of it was the diet. 
And, and so basically this administrator is saying, you know something, Daniel, if I don't succeed, I could die. This is a serious matter. Now, Daniel, the reason he said this is he verbalized his intentions. You know what that provided? Another layer of accountability. There was more accountability brought into the process of maintaining his integrity. And that's the reason we need one another. We need one another to hold us accountable. There's some things in our life that we need to be held accountable with. Thirdly, the preparation to pursue personal uh, character. He trusted God. Look at verse 11. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs said, uh, had said over them, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young man who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them 10 days. Now, how many of you ever heard of the Daniel diet? That's where it comes from, okay? So if you didn't learn anything here today, you learned about the Daniel diet, okay? But, but he, basically what's happening here, he's saying, why don't we test the situation? This is what God expects of us. This is what he's put before us. Let's just see if it works. Let me ask you a question. When you go out and profess that you're a believer in Jesus Christ and, you, and that you are, you, he's your Lord, do you go out and demonstrate, listen, that everything works in life when you do that? Doesn't mean it's smooth sailing. But did you demonstrate it in a way that it gets the attention of people in such a way that they take note about what God's doing in and through you? That you stand out. You're not like every other person they've ever met. There's something different about you. That's what's going on with Daniel and these people that are around him. And that's the reason he was able to serve with three world dictators over his lifetime is because there was something different about this man. He wasn't necessarily a yes man. He was someone that gave him truth. And they saw something not only in what he said, but the way he lived his life. There was something that was there that they respected. You see, what's being set up here appeared to be a big risk. Think about this. In 10 short days, their God-honoring Jewish diet could transform their appearance. But with God, here's what we need to understand. In situations like this, with God, it's not about risk. It's about trust. And that's what you find here. They tr he trusted his God. Basically, Daniel is putting his life on the line and saying this. Okay, God, this is in your hands. If you don't come through... I'm sunk. I'm sunk. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to that place in your life? I believe God wants us there more, more most of the time. God, if you don't come through, I'm putting it on you this time. God, you got to come through. You see, there had to be a pattern in Daniel's life that protected his integrity, which leads to this. Look on your outline. The power of personal character. You see, his character affected his three persons. It affected everything about him. Number one, look on your outline, his body. Look at verses 16, 15 and 16. At the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter uh, in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus, the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. They said, hey, this is working. 
And it became something that they did with the rest of them. Guess who showed up? God. It wasn't risk anymore. It was trust. Next, his spirit. His spirit. Look at verse 17. And as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. That will come to serve him well in the future. But there was something that God gave to him. And he, he basically, he was in such tune with who God is and, and the one true and living God. He was in tune with him so much that he saw things that most people didn't see. Now, I'm not asking you to brag or anything, so don't raise your hand. But again, I've said this many times. How many times have you, based on the fact you know God's word, you're discerning because of God's word. You have wisdom because of God's word. How many of you have looked out there into our society and thought, how, did the, how could you ever come to the conclusion you're coming to? Have you ever done that? Have you ever, have you ever wondered where that came from? It comes from being discerning. It comes from being in tune with God. It comes from those things. And that's the reason we look at the world and we're like, how do you come to this conclusion? How, that's, how many of you ever been there? That's what is happening here. It affected his three persons. Thirdly, his mind. Look at verse 20. And, and, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which he exam, the king examined them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in, who were in and all his realm. Now, now here's, here's the part you may miss when you read this story. <laughs> These four young men and it appears Daniel's the leader of them. He not only rose above those that came in at the same time he did from other nations. You got to understand, they were pulling people from all these nations. And, and these Israel boys, Israelite boys, they, they stood apart. They, they stood above those, but they not only stood above those who came in at the same time, they stood above those who had been serving for years above those who had been by the king's side for many years, who, in which the king saw many victories come through their decisions and what they said. They rose above them. That's a pretty big deal, would you agree? And that's what's happening here. His mind was sharper than those of the king. God does, listen to this, God does bless his people in a unique way in body, spirit, and mind when they dare to be like Daniel, walking in integrity and refusing to compromise. Think about that. Next, the power of his personal character, his integrity affected his three employers. I want you to look at verse 18. Now at the end of the days when the king has said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them and among them all was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm, all his realm. Thus, Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. What we've seen here is he's gone from serving Nebuchadnezzar, now he's serving Cyrus. What will really blow your mind is this. The Babylonians are the ones that took him. And guess who's coming next? The Persians. They come next. 
And he still serves. He not only moves from king to king, he moves from a different conqueror to another conqueror. That's how much influence he's had, has in this place. So we see this. They saw something in Daniel that was different about him that they could trust him. He was a man of conviction. He was a man of principle. Next, we see the power of his personal character. His integrity affected his three friends. Look at, look at uh, verse, verse 8 again. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacy, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the units that he might not defile himself. This is the key verse. If you haven't noticed, this is the third time we've read it. But it bleeds over into something else. Daniel not only lived a life of integrity, he also inspired other people to do it. I want you to turn over to chapter 3. This is something we just sung about. Over in chapter 3, verse uh, 16, it says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many of you know these guys? You ever, you ever met them? Okay, good. It says, they answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your, king, your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods nor we worship the gold image which you have set up. They're basically saying, listen, if you see it fit, if you think the only option is to throw us into this fiery furnace, you go ahead. We trust our God. We know however this works out, we're going to be left standing, basically. And our God's going to be honored if we do the right thing. And was he honored? Yes. Yeah. There's some powerful things that happened after this, and we'll read about that later. Listen, our integrity will have one or two effects on people. This is important that you get this this morning. Our integrity will have one or two effects on people. It will either anger them and threaten them, or it will powerfully influence them, inspire them, and empower them. One of two things. You begin to live out your integrity in the workplace. You begin to live your integrity out with those that you hang out that may not have the same view of, of life as you do. And you begin to live that out. Listen, they, you will either inspire them or you will threaten them. How many of you think you've been in that situation before? Yeah, and, and many times you're sitting there and you're like, how am I threatening these people? I'm just living out. This is, but it happens. I want, I want you to look at this quote. Those with integrity or good character are many times targeted by those living in sin with the intention to get them to approve or accept their sin so that they may have peace about living in their sin. Do you get what that's saying? There's some of you out there that are holding the line of conviction, of integrity, of living out what God has said. And you're living that out. And, and people, listen, there's people who are threatened by the fact that you're holding that line. And, and the reason they can't enjoy fully what they want to embrace, there's you that creates this check in their spirit that won't give them peace into what they want to do because you're sitting there and the only thing they want you to do is just accept them for who they are and this and that. And you hear that in our world today. And y'all, all this should be done in the context of love. But the problem is if they can just get you to endorse, if they can get you to affirm or approve their lifestyle, then they feel all at peace. But you may be the only one, listen, you may be the only one in your family that continues to hold the line 
Now you say, boy, it sounds so cruel. No, no. That's exactly what God's called you to do. To, to represent conviction if conviction needs to be represented. Not in a malicious way, not in an ugly way. They still need to know their love. They still need to know that you, you, you love them. It's just, you can't accept what they've chosen to do. Whether it's shacking up or living a, a lifestyle apart from what God says, whatever it may be. We are called to hold the line. We are called, listen, to be light in darkness. We're called to be salt of the earth. And sometimes that's tough. He goes on, if you look at his next quote, next sentence, those with integrity literally become an agitation to those living in sin. Now listen, I'm not telling you, you need to get out there and just preach the word and agitate them and hurl stones and judge them. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about love them in such a way if they were completely honest with the way you approach them, they know that you really love them. But because they want their sin protected and they want to live about it in it peacefully, they're not going to give you that. What they'll say many times is you don't have a right to judge me. And really, I mean, some people say you can judge the fruit. I get all that. But we shouldn't even come across that way. We should come across, the, here's the word of God. Here's what God says is best for you. This is why I love you. I want you to be introduced to what God says is best for you. Second Timothy chapter two, look here on the screen. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. That means we are to do this in such a way that they can receive it, that, that, that they move towards that. Why would they move towards that? that? That they may come to repentance, that they may see their error in their way, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. That's what's at stake. That's what's at stake. Here's the application. Basically, how is good character constructed? Look at Romans chapter five here on the screen. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produce perseverance. And perseverance, what? Character. And character brings the hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by whom? The Holy Spirit. He's the one doing the work in our lives. Who was given to whom? Us. That work of character, it doesn't come easy. There's times where you're going to feel tested. There's times where you think everybody in the office has turned their back on you. You're going to think you've been misrepresented. And many times you are misrepresented if they don't like what you're living. And it says this, stay patient, persevere, hang in there, do what I've called you to do. Be people of conviction. Be those people. Look on your outline, anytime you break a moral principle, you create a small crack in the foundation of your character. And that's what we talked about a while ago. How do you protect your character? How have you seen the influence of your character demonstrated? I mean, look here at Daniel. Look, look at how that played out. He was demonstrating his good character, his integrity, his, his, his principles, his convictions. And we see how it played out. And then lastly, if your life impacts and inspires those around you for the good, it is because you have good character. I want to close with this one quote, and I want to leave you with this. 
The only thing, this is interesting. The only thing that walks back from the grave with the mourners and refuses to be buried is the character of a person. I want you to think about that. Tomorrow I'll be doing a funeral. Many of you remember Dawn Dishman from years ago. Dawn, she, she, every time you saw her smile, that would cerebral palsy. I mean, all her life, always confined to a wheelchair. But every time you saw her, she had a big old smile on her face. And, and, and you know something? We're going to go and we're going to go to a service and we're going to be celebrating her life and talk about what God, God's done in her life. And then we're going to go to a graveside. And you know what? We're going to leave that graveside. And she won't be coming back with us, but her character will. Who she was will. When your family lays you there, when, they, when they're sitting by that grave and the mourning is going on and they won't be taking you back with them, but they'll be taking your integrity, your character, the memories they have of you. Are you that, are you that person in your family? The one that holds up the banner of truth? Are you the one that has integrity that you pay close attention to? Are, are you like that pastor who was laying on his deathbed and through his tears he told his grandchild, basically, I finished. I finished well. My integrity is still intact. Wow, that's powerful. Would you pray with me? Ushers, would you come forward? Father, we just come to you right now. And, and Lord, I don't know what you're doing in this room. I know what you've done in my life over this past week, thinking about this story and how it plays out in my own life. But Father, I just pray for that person in this room, Lord, that maybe they haven't been taking their good character, their godly character, their integrity seriously. They've just been kind of flippant and they haven't really been a person of conviction. They haven't been a person that, that, that responds to things with truth, with wisdom and discernment. Father, I pray that maybe even tomorrow when all of us go back to our jobs, when all of us get around our family, when all of us are out there living this life you've given us, that we will be people that live it differently than the world. That we don't look like the pagans. That we don't buy into their, their indoctrination. That, Father, we rest in your truth. Help us to be people that are known for worshiping you. And Father, I pray you take this offering and use it as only you can to help us get the word out about who you are, that all the nations may glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>